Some of the most incredible scenery in Cambodia is just kilometers outside of Siem Reap at the Angkor temples. You might recognize the name Angkor Wat, a temple many consider among the wonders of the world. Angkor temples in general, and there are thousands, span across the northern countryside of Cambodia. Again, many of the premier ones are just a walk away from downtown Siem Reap. Now, when traveling through Cambodia, a group of us worked at a school in Siem Reap for a couple of days. The most valuable experience we had at the school was the interaction with the students. To our surprise, we learned that many had never seen Angkor Wat or any of the temples, just a kilometer or two down the road. Some of the greatest architectural completions ever left unseen by many of these students. And yet, a group of Americans from halfway across the world were going to see them the next day. Previously, on the Red Sky at Night, we looked at many of the modern day challenges Cambodia faces. But now, in this final episode, we shift our attention to a developing Cambodia, looking at education, and awareness. The Red Sky at Night, Sailor's Warning, the final episode. Next. There's a, there was an article and it was about how Cambodia is going to not be considered a developing world country soon, that it's going to become a lower lower middle class or struggling middle class or something, I don't know, some weird thing that they've got. Mm -hmm. And it's just not true. It's true um, in Phnom Penh. There's a lot more money and there's a lot more, um, you know, less developing in Phnom Penh. But it's like two different countries. She said, oh, but they're so much better off. There's so many more cars. People are buying cars. They're, you know, they've got yeah. a hard rock cafe. There's this. It, it doesn't matter. And I said, how many cars are you seeing in the villages? Dead silence. That was Natalie Bastow, the COO of Caring for Cambodia. Just for a brief intro here, Caring for Cambodia, or CFC as I'll reference it, is an organization dedicated to building primary through secondary schools in Siem Reap training Cambodian teachers, and improving the well-being of the communities surrounding the schools. I've been working with CFC for the past couple of years. Why is uh, developing education in Cambodia important? We were in dire straits and we needed someone to come and um, help us. We wouldn't want someone to come in and bring their ways. We'd want them to help us rebuild our ways. And I think that's that's what it is and the country has a standing on its own instead of counting on other people to come and um, fill those positions within their country. A somewhat more technical answer to the why is education in Cambodia an important question is that it also allows them to compete with the ASEAN agreement. Uh, Cambodia is part of the ASEAN uh, Southeast Asia countries um, and Right now, they are not in a position for Cambodians to go abroad and take advantage of this, um, of the agreement, whereas the other countries are coming into Cambodia and taking jobs. Mm -hmm. The ASEAN Free Trade Agreement, as Natalie references, 
is the deal between 10 Southeast Asian countries for which free trade is very, very important. The primary goals of the agreement are to, one, increase Southeast Asia's competitive edge as a production base in the world market through the elimination within these 10 countries of all tariffs and non-tariff barriers, and two, to attract more foreign investment to Southeast Asia. So Cambodia, as one of these countries, is seeking to draw more investment, essentially, to, to Phnom Penh, to Siem Reap, and one long-term solution to that goal is education. Quick. Where do I think the future of education in Cambodia lies? Our goal is to leave. If we did leave tomorrow, everything that we've done is there. The systems are in place. Okay. And the only thing that would happen is it would slow down. Okay. So I just want to talk a little bit about why I think CFC is so neat. Because Natalie just touched on it a bit right there. The whole purpose of CFC, beyond everything else they do, is to create an education platform for Cambodians by Cambodians. The goal isn't to overhaul the Cambodian education system by throwing Western teachers into the classroom. Instead, CFC trains Cambodian teachers, hires Cambodian staff members, and as you just heard Natalie say, if all American influence left, say, the second, everything tomorrow would run just fine. The funding would just eventually drop off because of the high maintenance costs. On top of that, CFC really looks to support local communities, which has led to an education model that focuses on much more than a student in the classroom. Students can bring home meals to their families, they can pump water, CFC even installs wells for families that might live farther away from the schools. But back to the education front, what CFC has done is really help re-inspire the idea of education in Siem Reap, but unfortunately, if this growth is to continue, especially without U.S. aid, CFC and other similar schools need support from, well, you guess it, the government. Now, it gets a little tricky here, and I haven't been able to find too much concrete recent evidence to back much up, but for a long time, the government has just not spent much of its budget on education at all. You get these Americans that come to Cambodia and want to start a primary school NGO, but without true government support and funding, it's hard to leave a lasting sustainable model anywhere. I talked to one person who wished to stay anonymous for various reasons, but they insist that the government must buy into supporting education. Right now, the government seems to look at a lot of these NGOs across the country and say, oh, they have NGO support. We don't need to help them out. And this, frankly, is just unreal. So you kind of said, like, in the ideal world, like, the government would kind of fund all this. Yeah, um, and they not. will someday. Natalie's optimism struck me at first, but she does have some reason to be hopeful, I believe. If this kind of stuff interests you, I recommend taking a quick stop by the Cambodia's Minister of Education's website. I've heard and read a bunch of good things about the new Minister of Education, actually, 
he, like Natalie, is optimistic despite his low budget of around a couple hundred million dollars. But look through some of the forecasting models on the site, and I'm worried the Department of Ed in Cambodia is falling into a trap of being overly optimistic at times without perhaps facing the cruel realities of the present. Remember back to a previous episode when Sebastian Strangio talked about Cambodia trying to live up to a Western standard? Well, I think that same logic applies here in education. Cambodia, or rather a couple of uncorrupted individuals, have this vision for Cambodian education, which is nice. But without full support from Hun Sen and others, increased funding and a true national devotion to higher ed, I, I think the future is cloudier, much cloudier, than optimistic. So we're going to take a step back now and look at Cambodia from an American's perspective today. It's always bothered me a little bit how we Americans have looked at Cambodia. It starts pretty young. Just look at your average U.S. history course and there will be little to nothing in the Kissinger and Nixon unit on Cambodia. And this is fine, I suppose, until you remember that we essentially incited the rise of the Khmer Rouge, bombed hundreds of thousands of innocent civilians, and did most of this in secret. I never really got into it in episode one, but... The Kissinger-Nixon foreign policy decisions in Cambodia are a perfect case study for American foreign policy practices in the mid to late 20th century. And secondly, when there is Cambodian sentiment in Westerners, it's usually in the temples like Angkor Wat or the genocide museums. Remember back to the Musa Meli quote I referenced way back, it's the most dangerous country you'll ever visit in Cambodia because you'll fall in love with it, and then it will break your heart. When tourists, Westerners, foreigners, whomever, visit Cambodia, and they see that the country is not in civil war, not in genocide, they may be tempted to fall in love with the scenery, the cities, and the people. But beyond all of this, as you now know, there are layers of corruption and injustice. Ultimately, if Cambodia wants to grow, I think it must heed a lesson from its past. The Khmer Rouge wanted to send the country back to year zero, to escape all Western influence to eliminate education. The first key to this, to this growth, is education. And it may sound cliche and overused, but I believe it's true. Cambodia has an excellent growing primary education system, and if this can grow into a developed secondary and higher ed, I think Cambodia will see its economic power rise. Unfortunately, education alone is not free from the deeper problem of corruption. Phnom Penh Post story a year ago detailed the widespread cheating that occurs, for instance, on the national exam taken by secondary students each year. The second piece of growth I recommend that is coupled with education is extending awareness of Cambodia through the interaction of Cambodians and others outside of Cambodia. 
Whether it's through a secondary school exchange program or just Cambodians beginning to get outside of their village and travel. Instead of another NGO creating a primary school just outside of Phnom Penh, how about a sponsored exchange program for Cambodian high school students or university students bringing them to the UK, Europe, or the US? Cambodians are ready to see the outside world. Teenage media use and presence is growing there. I'm friends with a couple CFC students on Facebook and they use it more than anyone else I know. Show these empowered youth the power of democracy, economic prosperity, and the value of education. The benefits of foreign exchange, and not the program, but the actual cultural exchange, is well documented. And I believe that the benefits can be a part of a long-term solution in mitigating Cambodian corruption and human rights violation and stimulate the growth of education and innovation instead. Red sky at night, sailor's delight. Red sky in the morning, sailor's warning. There cannot be a more perfect phrase to describe Cambodia's eviction crisis, corruption, and efforts to reconcile its past. The red sky in the morning is the hope, aspiration, belief, hard work, and morale of Cambodians. It's all of the kids biking to school at 5 a.m. through the narrow alleyways. It's the teachers that care for Cambodia. It's the woman at the eviction site who remains hopeful. It's the environmental activists standing up to Hun Sen and the Chinese government in order to halt damning efforts. It's John Kerry, Michelle Obama, visiting Cambodia to talk about human rights and women's rights. Cambodians have been suppressed by a government corrupted by individuals and corporations. But unlike before, the sun is not setting. Cambodians are rising, more aware and educated than ever. The ripples and ebbs of a movement for change are forming. In Cambodia this morning, the sun is red and rising. I'd like to thank Natalie Bastel at CFC for her continued support of my work. Dave Whitson, my mentor for this project. Michael Arresti, whose selfless work continues to inspire me, and the many others I've worked with, emailed and or called over the past year. Music by Kaigo. Thanks. The Red Sky.